You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Vaginal fistulas occurring during childbirth are unheard of in the United States, but commonplace in Africa. Today we will be discussing the treatment and prevention of these catastrophic maternal injuries. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University in Chicago. With me today is Dr. Lewis Wall, the world's only board-certified obstetrician-gynecologist who also holds a Ph.D. in anthropology. Dr. Wall received his medical degree from the University of Kansas. He also holds a doctorate in social anthropology from Oxford University. He is a professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the Washington University School of Medicine. He serves as director of the Division of Urogynecology and Reconstructive Pelvic Surgery. He also is a professor of anthropology in the College of Arts and Sciences. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable here on ReachMD, Dr. Wall. Tell us uh, something about the treatment of vesicle vaginal fistulas in Africa. How long do these operations take uh, to the extent that they're performed? Well, it obviously depends on the skill of the surgeon who's uh, doing it. There are a few institutions in Africa that are devoted exclusively to fistula surgery, and those people are doing a 1,000 cases a year, and they get pretty good. The discrepancy between the short amount of medical attention and the life suffering in a patient like that is is truly astonishing. Can you repair the vesicovaginal fistula and the occasionally occurring rectal vaginal fistulas at the same time, in the same, ca- in the same procedure? Yes. You can. The overall success rate is lower in patients who have a double fistula, but if if they're amenable, that you can do them simultaneously. I imagine the circumstances don't really permit a second procedure being done easily uh, a few months later. Is that correct, since they have so far to travel and there are so few facilities? Well, one of the things that's really quite characteristic of fistula patients, if they find a facility that gives them hope, or they can see other patients who've had fistulas who've been cured, uh, they're either going to stay around as long as possible till you know, they've had multiple attempts, or they'll keep coming back. The psychological and social stress, uh, the physical misery that a patient with a fistula has is a great motivator to seek out care, and they're very persistent. There are some amazing stories of women who've traveled hundreds or thousands of miles to get uh, care for a fistula. When you're repairing a rectal vaginal fistula, do you have to uh, do a diverting colostomy, or are you able to just repair it without diverting the fecal stream? Most of the time, the fistulas can be repaired without doing the colostomy. Number one, because there's easy access and people are skilled at it, but also the morbidity of abdominal surgery under those circumstances and the settings in which the operations are likely to be done is is quite high. What can you tell us about the post-operative care of these patients? What kind of follow-up do they need? What is available for them? How does one take care of them post-operatively? Assuming that you get the fistula closed at the time of surgery, and people usually try to check that by putting dye in the fistula after it's closed to make sure there's no leakage, the the key is prolonged drainage of the bladder. You don't want the bladder to fill up with urine and expand, and so prolonged catheter drainage is the rule. Traditionally, that's been about 14 days, uh, but the drainage doesn't have to be in a closed drainage system. Most of the time, in fact, the patients just have a catheter in a little bucket and they carry that around with them 
and they're quite happy to do so. The follow-up of patients after surgery is very problematic. And about most of the places that do the surgery only have statistics at the time of hospital discharge. What kind of suture material do you use, dissolving or non-dissolving? I know that Marion Sims used uh, silver wire. Yeah, very early operations were done with silver wire. Current sutures are done really with whatever is available, but most often it's uh, ordinary absorbable suture. And what about the catheter? I, I'm not familiar with anything other than a Foley catheter or catheters with uh, inflatable balloons on them, and I think most of our audience has the same experience. So what kind of catheters can you use? Or are used in Africa? Most places that have enough medical sophistication to be able to do fistular repairs are going to have a Foley-type balloon catheter to be used. But you could use other types of catheters, provided you could secure them in such a way that the bladder drained uh, continuously. And, and there's a lot of ingenuity used when supplies run out and you don't have what you want. What uh, What kind of emotional support do the patients get uh, immediately postoperatively at the better centers that treat this a lot? Well, the social circumstances of the patients are really quite difficult, and so they carry an enormous burden of guilt and stigma often with them, as well as social ostracism from their often offensive conditions. So the places that work best try to bring these women together in their own fistula unit where they can share their stories with their neighbors who now they see also have fistulas. They can begin to develop a community spirit. And at the Addis Ababa Fistula Hospital in Ethiopia, most of the nursing care is actually done by former patients who have stayed at the hospital and have been trained to be nursing aides. And that creates quite a supportive social environment for rehabilitation. What can governments or non-governmental organizations do to help address the problem. Now, when I mean address the problem, I think there are really two issues. One is treating those who have these injuries, and of course the other, which I think is probably going to be even more productive over time, to prevent the problems. The first issue is treating the backlog of women who do have uh, fistulas. My personal estimate is that there are probably three and a half million women in Africa with unrepaired vesicovaginal fistulas, and maybe as many as 130,000 new cases uh, each year. If a major fistula center could do a thousand operations a year, it's quite obvious that the infrastructure just isn't there. So there needs to be money and effort spent in developing curative services for women with uh, fistulas. I actually founded an organization about 12 years ago to help deal with this problem called the Worldwide Fistula Fund, and we help train doctors in various countries, pay for the cost of surgical services, provide instruments to fistula centers. Uh, we're working on producing a uh, comprehensive textbook of fistula surgery and some other things. So interested listeners could go to the website of the Worldwide Fistula Fund Dot org and get some more information there. Where does this fund get uh, most of its money? Do, does it get it from uh, charitable organizations, governments, or individuals? For the most part, it's individual donations. Uh, some have come in from charitable foundations, but it, it's mainly small to modest contributions from a wide variety of donors around the country. What about the United States government? Is it uh, addressing this in any way? 
the U.S. government has really done very little in this area, but they have done some things. And USAID, which is our agency for international development, has funded some small efforts in uh, fistula repair, training, education, and so on. One of the problems has been, I think, politically, that any aspect of women's reproductive health in developing countries immediately gets tied up with other social issues like family planning and abortion, which arouse opposition in in certain quarters of society. And it's it's quite sad to see that happen because these young women are the innocent victims of normal reproductive physiology. They're not guilty of anything, and we should be making more efforts to try to help them. So even uh, fistula issues can be politically controversial in the United States uh, in some way? It all gets drawn in to uh, politics surrounding family planning and abortion, and there are groups that don't want to support either of those in other countries, and uh, people tend to see women's reproductive health issues, of which maternal mortality and obstetric fistulas are part, uh, gets overshadowed by the battles that are going on between these, these other organizations. And one of the major initiatives that's being run around the world is being run by UNFPA, the United Nations Family Planning Agency, and they have been embroiled in abortion-related politics and issues that have allowed the U.S. government to, you know, cut off funding for them. And uh, and it's sad because the ultimate losers in this thing are the women who need help during pregnancy, the women with obstructed labor, who need emergency obstetric services, and the women with fistulas who desperately need surgical repair. What about um, individual health care missions where I certainly uh, know of people and have had friends go to Africa for two weeks at a time to provide whatever health care they can. How do you feel about that in terms of this particular problem? Can urologists or OB-GYNs go over there for two weeks and operate on a few uh, vesicovaginal fistulas? I think the big problem with fistula surgery in general is that for a variety of historical circumstances, praise God, we have eliminated the fistula from the United States and Western Europe. So the obstetric fistula, with its vast areas of damage, its heavy scarring, and the associated morbidities are not something anybody trained in the United States or Europe is going to see. So they're not prepared to deal with that right off the bat when they land up in a rural part of Africa. So you're faced with a well-intentioned but inexperienced surgeon contemplating doing an operation on a young woman who may be desperate for cure, but really who doesn't understand all the issues involved. And so what we need to do is to develop ways of partnering with African institutions and with uh, American or European counterparts uh, to build partnerships. People need to get training before they set out to do fistula surgery. They need to work in settings where they have appropriate support and backup, particularly after they leave the country to go home. And they need to concentrate not just on flying in to do operations and leaving, but developing the appropriate infrastructure to deal with these patients on an ongoing basis in those countries. So it really needs to be about developing partnerships 
rather than volunteering. As we finish this segment with Dr. Lewis Wall, I want to give him an opportunity to cite his charity again, or the charity to help address vesicle vaginal fistulas in Africa. What's the um, the website? The website is www.worldwidefistulafund.org. I want to thank Dr. Lewis Wall, a professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the Washington University School of Medicine, St. Louis. Today we have discussed the treatment and prevention of vesicle vaginal fistulas that occur commonly among laboring patients in Africa. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.